What kind of Christian in hearing what I just said would say, you know what, I don't want to submit to elders. I don't want to have fellowship with the brethren. I don't want to serve one another or love one another or obey any of these one another commands. I just don't want to honor God by obeying these direct and clear commands. Well, normally, um, as you all know, we go through um, the scripture verse by verse. And we've been doing that for most of the past several years. But today it's going to be slightly different. Um, I believe that we live in such an unprecedented time and many things that we've been taken for granted are quickly stripped away from us, right? The freedom to worship our God in a way that pleases Him is being seized from us. I believe it warrants that we take time um, off, uh, from the Gospel of Mark so that we can address head-on these issues that we're currently facing. Uh, we know very well um, that our manner of preaching, whether Brother Ralph or myself, anyone behind his pulpit, we don't get too involved with politics, right? Um, our preaching transcends um, political views or the current public affairs. And there's a reason for this. There's a reason. And the reason is simple. It's just that the God desires that Christ and Him being crucified is to be preached through His Word, by His Word. Everything else is way too secondary. But when pastors see a wolf lurking around the flock of God, taking advantage of governmental authority or a virus, and then begin to plant seeds of doubt in order to tear apart the bride of Christ, then it is the duty of those pastors, if they would be to be faithful, is to rise up to the challenge and to guard the flock of God at any cost, to protect the bride of Christ no matter the price that is to be paid. Now, what I want to do is I want to present to you those seeds of doubts in form of opposition. Opposition to what? Let me tell you, in a nutshell, what were the church, what the church is suffering today? It's this question. This question. Why must we assemble as a church in person? I think this sums up. Everything else that the enemy is trying to do, it's trying to oppose this. Let me repeat it one more time. Why must we assemble as a church in person? And this question must be addressed along with all the objections that oppose it. Let me give you some of those objections that are just penned them down quickly, and I thought I'd just share them with you. Those Objections that oppose this question, why must we, as a church, members of Saving Grace Bible Church, why must we assemble in person? These are the objections that the enemy is throwing at us, and by and large, throwing at all churches now worldwide. Let me share them with you. One, 
aren't we unloving to assemble as a church in person in the midst of pandemic? Another objection. What if we assemble and the mainstream media finds out? Wouldn't we then bring bad reproach to Christianity? Since we're going to be all over the news, right? Another one. Why can't we assemble online instead of in person? Isn't it easier and more convenient to do a church online rather than facing conflicts with governments and its authority? Why not? And what about the government? Doesn't the Bible say, submit to the government? Is it, is it really wise to assemble in person on weekly basis during this time of the uprise of government against the church gathering? Does, does the Bible really say that we've got to assemble on weekly basis? I mean, why can't we assemble on monthly or every six months? Why must we assemble as a church in person weekly? Where does it say that in the Bible? Show me a chapter and verse. These and many and many uh, more hard-pressing questions, not only must they be answered, but they must be answered biblically, carefully, and clearly. And let me tell you, these answers must be rooted in Jesus Christ and his gospel. Who Christ is and what he has done for us must be the lens through which all biblical answers flow out of. Today, most certainly I won't be able to cover these objections in one, in one session, but today, I want to persuade you and perhaps kindle a flame in our hearts to be members. And not just to be members, but to be members that are willing to assemble in person at our local church gathering. Why? So that we would be found faithful to God and obedient to His Word. What I want to do today in nutshell is to lay down the foundation for what is to come. So today is the concrete. Lord willing, next time it will be the, the, the walls, the studs, the everything else. Just the foundation. And let me start with this. If we are to be members that are willing, desiring, and eager to assemble in person, at the local church. Let me start from the very basic. What is a local church? Let's start from the very, very basic foundation. What is a local church? Now, some theologians, they refer to a distinction between a universal church. So universal church are all Christians everywhere throughout history and a local church. Now, other than two references in the scripture that refer to the universal church, all other references to the church are to do with local churches. For example, when Paul writes to the church of God in Corinth, or again, he writes to the churches in Galatia. 
and, and, and the question is, what is a local church? Let, let me give you um, the first and probably perhaps the greatest misconception in the minds of people. People think that a local church is just a collection of Christians, a group of Christians that gather together to praise God. You know, and then they say, well, if two or three gather together in the name of Jesus, well, that's a church. Is it? You know, like uh, when you have one sheep is a sheep and then you have a group of sheep that there will be a flock. Or one cow is a cow, a group of cows is a herd. And so what does that mean? Does that mean group of Christians is a church? Well, obviously, to have a local church, you've got to have a group of Christians. But that is not the biblical definition of what a local church is. Any more than a group of students gathered at a library somewhere would make them a school or a university. Right? You don't look at a group of sick people and you say, here's a hospital. Or if um, a group of uh, people are fighting together, you say, that's, a, that's an army. Or a collection of furniture would make it a house. Doesn't make sense. Let me give you some verses that help us to see that a church is not just simply a group of believers that just gather together. First of all, appointed elders. You appoint elders to churches. It says in Acts 14.23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church. Every church is meant to have recognized, biblically qualified men, elders, that shepherd the flock. We don't appoint elders to a Bible study group. You don't need to. Or just a collection of Christians. You don't. Another thing, only in the context of a local church, women are called to be silent. 1 Corinthians 14.34 says, The women are to keep silent in way in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to, to subject themselves just as the law also says. Are women called to keep silent in all kinds of believers' gatherings? Obviously not. It's only in the context of a local church are they ever meant to keep silent. I mean, I can go on with uh, church discipline that cannot be exercised other than within a local church and many, many other uh, passages in the scripture that makes it clear that a local church is not just simply a group of Christians. What is a local church? Let me just spare you and just tell you a proper, perhaps, a definition of a local church. It is a gathering of clearly marked out believers together, together. They hear the word of God preached, praising the Lord, singing songs to the Lord, and practicing the Lord's two ordinances. What are they? Baptism and communion. And I believe that each one of us is called by God to be a member of a one singular local church. Right? So far, so good. But here is the catch. I don't believe 
Anyone can be a faithful member of a local church, belongs to a local church, committed to a local church that is not assembling in person. To be a committed member, which is really what God wants all of us to be, to be committed members to a local church is to be grafted into recognized, well-defined body of Christ in such intimacy with specific blood-bought people of God where we would be cared for, enjoying loving one another, outdoing one another, showing honor to, to one another. It is the will of God for all of us to be part of a spiritual family where one person is hurt, then another forgives him or forgiving one another and seeking forgiveness. When one is down, he's to be encouraged by others and to remind one another of the gospel and of the promises of God and the joy of the Lord, to rejoice and to weep with one another. How important is this kind of relationship? Now, if you call this relationship membership, how important to God is your membership to a local church? Right? And I submit to you that to be this kind of a member, yet not assemble in person, and in regular basis is oxymoron. It doesn't make sense. It's absurd. Because for the very same reason you're called to be members would be the same reason you've got to assemble in person. To say that I'm a faithful member of a local church, yet not assemble in person is almost to be like a man who claims to be a loving father yet never involved in his children's life. Or to be a man who claims to be a faithful husband yet never involved in his wife's lives. Let me give you the one most common objection to membership. Let's start with that. Next step. That the most common objection to memory. And why I need to address this head on, let me tell you why. Because if we are not convinced in our hearts that, that we've got to be members, then it is easy to push back and throw away God's mandate to assemble in person. So the most common objection would be like this. Pastor, where's, um, part of the universal church. Why do I need to commit to a local church? It is so controlling. You just want me to suffocate unnecessarily. You've been legalistic. You know, I want to be free. I want to float around. I want to listen to music wherever I want to listen to music. And when I'm preaching. I love certain preachers. I want to like go to their churches and listen to them. And if they're not around, I'll just download it from the internet. I just simply prefer to just float around. 
This happens a lot, right? Thank God it doesn't happen in his church, but it does happen a lot. Let me tell you the heart of this problem. The heart of this problem is that we live in a consumer-driven culture. You know, consumer-driven where I do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, where I want to do it, when I want to do it. I have zero accountability. I'm not interested in any responsibility. Now, brothers and sisters, such ideology that says, I am free to do what I want to do, stabs all kinds of relationship in the heart. And the outcome is that the views all kinds of relationships of loving, committing relationships as controlling and legalistic. Why? Because it disturbs the peace that people want to experience. Now one might say, well, you know what? I mean, all believers in a universal church are my brothers and sisters. Am I not meant to love them the same way as I love the believers in, in this gathering and enjoy fellowshipping with other believers just like I want to enjoy the believers in this gathering? Try that with your wife. Right? Say, say to your wife, honey, I, I, you know, I love you. You know that. You do know that the Bible does tell us that we've got to love all believers unconditionally. So I just want to let you know that I love all other women the same way I love you. Don't do that. Don't. Don't. Okay. <laughs> you know, the Bible says that... Um, the moment you become a Christian, God enlists you as a soldier in his army. Where well, we all have one uh, commander-in-chief, and that is Jesus Christ. Right? Think of local churches as units, clusters of soldiers grouped together. How do you think the commander would respond to you if you say to him, Sir, since everyone in this army is a co-soldier, I'm sure you wouldn't mind if I just keep on jumping from one unit to another. What do you think a commander-in-chief would say to you if you say that to you? Are you crazy? Just because we're all soldiers and just because we're all co-equal, it does not mean you can just simply jump from one unit to another. That's not how you win a war. You need to commit. To one specific local church. That's the point. And you know something? In the early church, there was no such thing as private relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, it was personal, but there was no such thing as private. This is born out of this individualistic culture that we live in. Um. There's that misconception in today's world where missionaries just go out and just share the gospel on their own and preach to the lost and get the lost saved. And they think that this is how uh, the missionary work was established. Do you know something? Do you know when Paul went in his missionary journeys, 
He went with an aim to establish local churches. And it's out of these local churches he would begin to preach the gospel. All the New Testament epistles, either written to local churches or to individuals that are members of local churches. Or early churches, they knew their congregation really well. They they knew them so well that when one member moved from one local church to another, they would write a letter of recommendation, like like you read in, in the book of Romans, where Phoebe, she moved away from one church to the church of Rome and and um, there was a letter of recommendation written uh, for her. So the idea of becoming a Christian and yet not a member of a local church was foreign to the New Testament believers. Every single believer in the New Testament era is meant to be part of a well-defined, recognized boundaries. Now, guess what? Guess the one thing the early church, all early church believers did that was common to all of them. One thing that was common. You know what it was? They assembled in person. Acts 2 verse 46, it says this, that's just an example. It says, day by day continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people from house to house, taking their meals together. And please note how God blessed them. Continuation of verse 47, it says, And the Lord was adding their number day by day, those who were being saved. They were obedient, they assembled, they were there in person, and as a result, God blessed them by saving souls. By saving souls. We'll look at that later, by the way, that this is a result of. I know it doesn't say it in this text, but I will show you that it is a result of meeting in person, gathering together. So let me give you now, and for the remainder of this message, three compelling reasons why we're not only meant to be members of a local church, no, but if we want to live healthy, if we want to be biblical, Must not we only be members, but we've got to be members that assemble in person. Three clear, direct kinds of commands, or a plethora of commands. But I'm just going to give you three kinds of clear and direct commands that in order to faithfully obey them, we've got to be members that assemble in person. Number one, the reason why we're called to be members that assemble in person is to be cared for. That's number one, to be cared for. God intends for us to be looked after by a group 
of qualified elders willing to pour out their lives, teaching you, guiding you, counseling you. And for this, let's uh, flick to Acts 20. Acts 20, verse 17. And Paul is saying, yeah, sorry, Luke is saying here in, in Acts, from Miletus, he sent, that's he here, that's uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul. He sent to Ephesus and called to him, who? The elders of that church. So the church of Ephesus had elders and Paul called those elders to him. Now drop to verse 28. And in verse 28, it says, be on guard for yourselves. All right. That makes sense. Okay. I'll be on guard of my, for myself. All right. What else? And for the flock among you, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. What a loving God. Is he not loving? You are so precious to him that he shed his blood for you. That's what he's saying here. But not only that, he loves you so much. Not only did he shed his blood for you, but he's a, such a great shepherd. He loves you so much that he wants you to be cared for. That's what it says. Be on God for all the flock. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. He wants you to be cared for, nurtured, nourished by dedicated elders. He handed you over to the elders and then he goes to the elders and he says, you better take care of my flock. How much should I, should we take care of the flock? He purchased you with his own blood. Then how much should the elders take care of the flock? So he says, Ralph, Wassam, you will give an account to me for how much you loved the flock, wept for them, rejoiced with them. And we take it very seriously. We do. You know what my response would be? God, which flock? Who? Who am I responsible for, God? Now, um, of course, those that are non-members, they're most welcome to come, of course, and hear the word of God, and we want to take care of them and love them. Absolutely. But you know what? We are not responsible for them. We cannot be. We, we were responsible for those who ascribe to the care and the teaching of Saving Grace Bible Church elders. It's hard enough to weep and to rejoice with the flock. How much all the more are we going to do with the, those who are not part of the flock? We can't. So how do I know who's in my flock? Unless you tell me, right? Right? But here's the catch. Even if you tell me, 
How do I take care of you unless you assemble in person? Unless we see one another, right? Let me drive it home so you can get the point. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 to 3, let me show you how we ought to look after you. This is how we ought to look after you. It says, therefore, I exalt the elders among you. Now, again, verse 2 now, it says, shepherd the flock. The same word there, shepherd the flock of God among you. How? Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. Pay attention to these adverbs. Voluntarily. According to the will of God. Not for sordid gain but with eagerness, nor, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples of the flock. Now how? How? Even if we know who the members are, how are we meant to shepherd them virtually if they're not going to assemble in person? SMS? How? How are we going to voluntarily, eagerly be an example to the flock? By Viber messages will be an example? How do we do that? How do we do it if people don't assemble? Right? I, I honestly don't know how other pastors deal with this text. Those who refuse to assemble, how do they obey God's clear and direct commands? Now, to their God, they have to give an account. But for me, I have no idea. How do I live by an example to those who will not come and I would see them in person? How do I shepherd them in such a way that God commands me to shepherd them? Right? Do you want to be part of this flock? How do you express your willingness to be shepherded? How do you show that? Now, you, 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 you may have in your mind, uh, well, that's your problem, uh, elder or pastor. Uh, that's not my problem. These commands are to you, not to me. Well, let's flip the coin and look at the other side, right? And it's the second reason why. Not only are we meant to be members, but we are meant to be members that assemble together in person. Let me tell you why. Because you're called to submit to elders. You are called to be a member or members that belong and assemble in a local church because you're commanded by God to submit to a group of elders. So not only to be careful, but because you're commanded to submit to a group of elders, we all have to assemble in person. You see, God's will for us is not to be just a, a free floating fish in the middle of oceans of local churches. No. And God's will for all of us to stick to our pond and submit to loving authority. 1 Thessalonians 5.12, it says, We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you 
in the Lord and give you instruction. Another one, Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17. It says this, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief for this would be unprofitable for you. Obey and submit to your leaders. And the question that every Christian has to answer is, who are those leaders that you're commanded to obey and submit to? If you refuse to join a local church or entrust yourself to the care and the loving authority of elders, then you don't have leaders. And if you don't have leaders, how in the world are you going to obey these clear and direct commands? Now, even if you are a member, even if you say, you know what, I'm convinced I've got to be a member, but you do not assemble in person, what is the point? How will you ever be able to obey God's clear and direct commands here? It's impossible unless you assemble in person. If you're in crisis and you need help, if you want to enjoy all the promises of God and the blessings that our Heavenly Father would love for all of us to experience as obedient children, we've got to recognize that God has ordained a relationship between elders and the flock. And for Jesus' sake, we are willing to embrace a spirit of submission to His clear and direct commands. Right? And this, my dear brothers, can only be done if we're members who assemble in person. Why do we assemble in person? To be cared for. Two, to submit to loving authority of the elders. Number three, to love and to serve one another. To fellowship, right? You know the word fellowship? What does it mean to fellowship? It, it is not just to have a cup of coffee. It, it is not to have a meal or have a chat over the phone. Biblically speaking, it is not just a, a vibe text. Though this is great. All of these things are great. But they're not. Fellowship in and of itself. Fellowship is sharing life together with other believers. And it's nothing less than that. Meaning your heart is solid rock attached to Christ, committed to your master Jesus. And out of this heart, you're grafted into this body of Christ and you want to share your life with them. Membership, this relationship is so intimate that the metaphor that God used to describe the strong bond is the human anatomy, right? Human anatomy, a human body. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 26, it says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Verse 27, now you are 
That's you are, that's all of you, that's plural. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Some say, ah, oh, membership is not biblical. It's not in the Bible. Well, here it is. You've got to be members of the body. Now, here is the absurdity to come to the church and the rest of the body of Christ doesn't know if you're a member or not. You know, some people just want to come regularly to, to the church, but the rest of the body are just not sure. Uh, the, 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 this person who's been coming, is he a member or not a member? It's, it's, it's absurd. It's, it's crazy. You know what it's like? It's like, having a thumb that is sore and the rest of the body is not sure is this really part of the body or not part of the body? Like, do, do, do I put a band-aid on it or not? I don't know. Might even go to the doctor and say, oh, look, you know, there's just something wrong there, okay? But he goes, okay, what's wrong? He goes, well, look, I'm, I'm not sure if this is really part of me or not part of me. It's, it's crazy. Fellowship. Fellowship. Body. Intimacy. Which local church are you a member of? Now, it doesn't have to be this church, but you've got to belong to a local church if you're a believer. Do you belong to a local church where others are invited to feel your pain when you're hurt, rejoicing when you're rejoicing? How will each one know that you want to belong if you don't wave your hand and say, you know what, I want to be a member. I want to be a member. And again, here is the catch. You cannot say, I want to be part of this body and yet not wanting to nor willing to assemble with the rest of the body. You cannot. You cannot say, oh, you know what? Yes, fellowship, I get it. It makes sense. I've got to be part of the body to love one another and so on. But I'm not willing to assemble in person. It does not make sense. You know why? Let me tell you why. I want to give you a list of commandments that say one another, what this fellowship includes. Just some of them, not all of them. And in no way, when you read them, when you listen to them, that you would ever say, yep, I can do that virtually. There is no way. Let me go through some of them. Here they are. And that will warrant for you to attend, to assemble in person. Here, you ready? Live in harmony with one another. How in the world would we ever do that if we don't assemble? That's a command given by God. Again, let me go through them quickly. Some of them, not all of them. Care for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, be patient with one another, be kind to one another, forgive one another, regard one another as more important than oneself, encourage one another, stir up one another to love and good deeds, be hospitable to one another. I want to be a member, but I'm not willing to assemble in person. That does not make sense. Because members are called to fellowship with one another. And this is the, the heart and the artery of what fellowship is. It is to obey these God's direct and clear commands. 
And he's calling for nothing less than total and continued commitment, first to Christ and then to one another. How? How can we enjoy fulfilling these beautiful commands if we're disconnected and if we're not assembling in person? Now, submitting to these commands is impossible for anyone unless we're all on the same page. We all know that we've got to see one another in person. So let me just do a quick recap. Well, we've got to be members that assemble in person um, so that the elders can look after you, can guard you and protect you. And number two, for the congregation, that includes every single Christian to submit to the elders. And finally, to fellowship with one another. I submit to you that all these clear and direct commands cannot be obeyed unless we meet in person. And when we're committed this way, when you're submitting to biblically qualified elders, supernaturally grafted in the body of Christ, always loving and joyfully serving the body, assembling together in person. Do you know what the impact will be? Now we come back now to the impact, the outcome, at least one of them, one impact. John 17, 21. John 17, 21. And Jesus here in his high priestly prayer, he says that they may all be one. He's praying to the Father and he's saying, may all be one. Who all, who they, believers. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. <laughs> I mean, to assemble in person w w would be just a small glimpse of what it's like for the first and second triune Godhead to be in unity together, right? That they also may be in us. Why? Why should we be enjoying such unity? What is the outcome? What is the purpose? Jesus tells us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Evangelization to the lost. God promises that when we're committed to one another in this way, the lost will fall on their faces and they will believe. You see? There's so much at stake. Why we've got to assemble in person? The gospel is at stake. The gospel is at stake. So in conclusion, why? Why would anyone not want to be looked after, nourished, nurtured? Watched out for by dedicated elders. 
What kind of Christian in hearing what I just said would say, you know what, I don't want to submit to elders, I don't want to have fellowship with the brethren, I don't want to serve one another or love one another or obey any of these one another commands. I just don't want to honor God by obeying these direct and clear commands. What kind of Christian would say that? I understand. We are, we understand, I understand that if people are not aware of God's commands, they'll just say, well, uh, that's all I know. Just virtually gather, assemble. But when they know what God is clearly saying, not, not implicitly, explicitly, not indirectly, but directly saying, when they know this and they understand that it's coming from the mouth of God, through the inspired word of God, what kind of Christian that would throw all that away and say, you know what? I'm very well justified not to meet in person. Let me tell you, the best case scenario is that this Christian has such a deep-rooted sin of self-righteousness. I can do it on my own. I'm okay the way I am. I'll do it on my own. Deep rooted sin, truckloads of self-righteousness that we've got to fight against and repent of. That is the best case scenario, right? The worst case scenario, he might not even be a born-again Christian. Sounds redundant, born-again Christian. He might not be born again. Right? He's deceiving himself. There is no desire in his heart to obey God's clear, direct commands. Brothers, this is not controlling. These are not my words. This is from the scripture. And I've just simply explained to you what the word of God says. We're not trying to lord, lord this over you or controlling you. And part of the elders, but it's a call upon all of us to be recognized as faithful members. Those who want to obey God's word freely and cheerfully. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever as Christians. Listen to me, brothers and sisters, carefully as we end this message. To obey God, to glorify God, and to enjoy Him forever, we must walk in a path of obedience to His commands. This is not works-based. This is holiness-based, rooted in the gospel, founded by Jesus Christ who regenerated our hearts, gave us a new nature. And in that new nature that he's given us, he's given us the very desire to follow him all the way to the cross. Remember that, brothers and sisters. We're not putting something upon you to chain you back to the law. We're telling you that we've got to desire to obey God's clear commands, no matter what the government says. Much more will be discussed and, and lo- those objections that I presented to you at the start, we'll go through them one by one. So that we have clear conscience as to why we do what we do. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord God, we praise you. And Lord, we thank you so much for your clear, unmistakable word. 
You never give us a command, Lord, to create a bitter burden upon us. But every command that you, you give us, Lord, is sourced in your love for us. And its purpose is to nourish us and to lead us into a deeper joy in knowing your son, Jesus. But we pray, Father, that you bring clarity as we continue diving deeper into your word, trying to understand how we respond to those seeds of doubt that the enemy is trying to throw at us. In Jesus' name, amen.